Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So we are on the road to Jacksonville. Colts and Jaguars coming up this weekend. Joining us now on the hotline to talk about that a guy that I have had many a radio conversation with and previewing these two teams. Mike Dempsey joins us from 1010XL down in Jacksonville. He hosts a number of different shows regarding the Jaguars. Uh, Mike, first off, thanks for joining us. I'll get right to the meat of the matter on this, which is outside Jacksonville. You know, I think that, that a lot of people, myself included, really anticipated that this is the year that Jacksonville really grabbed a hold of the AFC South and just would you know immediately get out to a one-game, two-game lead and just build it from there. Uh, I think they're really good. I do. But it seems like the consistency is still week-to-week something that they have to iron out. Is that a fair statement, or has it just simply been matchups? Where do you see right now where Jacksonville is? Well, I mean, obviously it's fair. I mean, that they can go and get handled by Houston and then – Two weeks later, they're beating the Buffalo Bills. So, yeah, I mean, there's been some inconsistency early in the year, but, you know, they're in such a better place than they were at this point last year. I mean, they started 2-6 and six last year, so they wouldn't get their third win until sometime in November. Uh, they're already 3-2, and two, haven't beaten the Colts once, and, you know, it's a, an opportunity for them, obviously, this week, just like it's an opportunity for Indy uh, to even up their division record head-to-head and – get themselves a little bit of separation in the AFC South. So uh, whether it's supposed to be easy or not, it generally isn't. And uh, I do think the Jags are the most talented team in the division, whether it means they're going to win the most games. Well, that's why they're going to play the next dozen or so, I think. Mike, in terms of just the maturation of Jacksonville in general, I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence is going to be the big storyline because, and I've said on this show, I mean, I think the world of Trevor Lawrence, but – the maturation just is a, is a whole. What area has have the Jaguars kind of solidified, let's say, than where they were this time a year ago? Is there one area of play that you go, okay, that's that's one that we can check off as now is not a concern for them? Oh, look, I don't think they're a perfect team in any aspect. I mean, they, they, they game against Houston, every aspect of their team let them down. So I don't think you could say that any part of their team is – incapable of that uh but i'll say this the run defense has been a lot better their defense as a whole has been a lot better than people anticipated i mean there's still a basically a one-man pass rush with josh allen providing the majority of the pressure but somehow they've managed to give four good defensive efforts in five games with the houston game being the lone exception i mean they you know buffalo came in averaging well over 100 yards a game rushing and they just gave up trying after a little bit. I mean, James Cook had negative yards, and uh, even Josh Allen himself didn't do much. So I would say that the area that's probably exceeded expectations has been the defense overall, particularly the run defense. But I don't think any part of the team uh, they look at and say, well, we've got this. I, I think that's dangerous. Um, when you're a team that really hasn't accomplished anything to feel that way about almost any aspect of your football club. Mike Dempsey is our guest. Mike, when you look at the transformation of Trevor Lawrence from his rookie season to all of last year to where he's at this year, a lot of the credit, rightfully so, goes to Doug Peterson. We were talking about this yesterday, and I'm sure it gets talked about in Jacksonville, but it gets overlooked nationally sometimes. Do you think Trevor Lawrence would have bounced back as quickly last year without Christian Kirk? 
Uh, without Christian Kirk, no. I mean, you got to have weapons. You got to have guys to throw to, right? I mean, I, I mean, Christian Kirk was a big part of that. I think the excising of Urban Meyer, who didn't have a clue as to how to coach men, uh, was the biggest factor, though. I mean, it was such a crap show in his less than one season as the head coach, where he clearly proved that he was not cut out to coach at this level. That was the bigger factor. And, yeah, Doug Peterson has a direct impact, but Doug has built a staff full of former quarterbacks around him. And Jim Bob Cooter was one of those last year, and that was a big part of the bounce back. But you had Mike McCoy, you had Press Taylor, all these guys, including Peterson himself, that have played quarterback at one point or another. So I think Trevor Lawrence has a great kind of Petri dish to, to grow in and getting really good feedback. Uh, you know, I'm sure they missed Jim Bob Cooter a little bit, but I think Mike McCoy has been – very instrumental in being a sounding board for uh, Trevor Lawrence to this point. But absolutely, not only Kirk, but Jay Jones had a big impact on improving the weaponry, and so did Evan Ingram last year. So you can be as good as you can be, but you, you're not going to be the best you can be without having the complimentary players around you. You know, Mike, to kind of piggyback off that, and, and maybe there's no way to definitively know this answer, but when you look at the situation that, that you – talk about when Lawrence was a rookie with Urban Meyer and you know the crap show as you say and I know and I give credit to Jacksonville for making those changes and putting the right pieces around him before it was too far gone in terms of his career but I still feel like Lawrence part of the intangibles of Lawrence are the fact that he was able to put that behind him and move forward and not have his NFL growth stunted by it. Would you agree with the fact, maybe we don't know this definitively, but I think there are a lot of quarterbacks that going through that kind of topsy-turvy beating in year number one, it would have really stunted their growth. And yet his ability to shed it that quickly, to me, speaks about the maturation of Trevor Lawrence and why he was the number one pick. Yeah, look, you can't quantify it to the exact degree, but Trevor Lawrence, I mean, we can all go back. You can do Google searches on him when he was 12, 13 years old, being talked about as one of the best in his age group. And he's been prepared for this. And he's got the kind of personality. He's very low-key, doesn't get overly excited, doesn't, you know, he's the perfect guy as a lump of clay for professional staff to work with because, you know, they always tell you, put your last game behind you. All you can do is worry about this one. He has a great ability to compartmentalize. And, yeah, I mean, he's seen a bunch, and he's had a lot of success. He has no reason to doubt his ability. And, but yeah, absolutely, Trevor's makeup is a part of I expect him to be as successful as he's going to be, but definitely a part of the reason he was able to put that behind him. Obviously, the running game at Jacksonville, you know, ETN is a special talent. I think we knew that, but last year with the injury and then coming back from it, now it appears as though he, he clearly is hitting his stride. Um, how has Jacksonville been able to utilize ETN to kind of keep things opened up and keep defenses guessing? Well, I mean, you know, it depends on the week, right? The week before, he had 20 carries for 55 yards against the Atlanta Falcons. They did a great job against him. Uh, this week, not so much with the Buffalo Bills. And, that, you know, Matt Milano goes out during the game, gets hurt, and he's going to end his season. But uh, Etienne has been outstanding. He makes a lot of guys miss. That's uh, been a big formula for his success. He's, you know, he takes a lot of contact. So, ideally, you'd like to have Tank Bigsby or Dearness Johnson – 
get a larger role maybe between the tackles as the season goes on. But ETN's really dangerous with the ball in his hands. He has breakaway ability. I think they've underutilized him in the passing game, and I think that's something they're going to look to grow in the weeks ahead. But, you know, when he's rolling like he did last week against the Buffalo Bills, obviously it makes things so much easier to have balance in your offense. Mike Dempsey, Jaguars Radio Network, is our guest. Mike, you talk about making things easier offensively. How much more potent is this Jacksonville offense capable of being if Calvin Ridley's able to do the kind of performances he's done throughout his career, but what he was able to do last week against Buffalo? If that's a mainstay, how much does that open things up offensively for the Jags? I mean, it's huge, right? I mean, you you take Christian Kirk, who did a pretty serviceable uh, showing as a number one receiver last year with about 1,100 yards. You move him down to number two. Zay Jones had such an amazing offseason. I mean, it's hard to describe to people how good he was in training camp and in off-season practices and how he looked. And having him healthy this week is going to be a major factor if he's able to go. But absolutely, I mean, Ridley's a, you know, a guy who at his peak had nearly 1,400 yards in a season, kind of took over that number one spot in Atlanta over Julio Jones as his career was at a crossroads. And, but it's been a while since he's been able to do it. But if he can be that consistent 1,250, 1,300-yard type receiver, and, you know, he called himself a 1,400-yard receiver early this offseason. He quickly clarified, and I don't think people – picked up on it. He wasn't predicting 1,400 yards. He was saying, hey, if that's what they need me to be, I'm still that guy. They probably don't want him to be that because they want to spread the ball around. But yeah, look, you got one more guy. Who you who you paying the most attention to? Ridley, Kirk, Jones, Ingram, ETN out of the backfield. And as long as Trevor Lawrence is making the right decision, uh, it Kevin Ridley's presence makes it easier for everybody on the offense. Mike Dempsey, in your opinion and observation through it at this point, five games in, Jacksonville's biggest area of vulnerability that Indianapolis will try to exploit is what? There's two. Uh, One is one that they did a pretty good job of the first time. It's uh, the interior of the offensive line. I mean, I, I think it's a good matchup for Indy in that regard to get pressure with the Forrest Buckner and company up the middle. Uh, I think that is, you know, from guard to guard. Now, that's a big question. Is Walker a little play this week after they kicked him side to guard? He played less than two series, got nicked up. He was said to be day-to-day yesterday. Uh, You know, day-to-day means different things. So I'm going to anticipate he doesn't play. So if he doesn't, now you're back to probably Tyler Shatley at left guard. Brandon Sheriff is kind of underproduced at right guard. And Luke Fortner just simply isn't physically strong as most centers in the league. So that's an area. And then just lack of pass rush in general. And, you know, Minshew does such a good job getting rid of the ball quickly. I think it's going to be tough for the Jags to get him on the ground this week. Mike, when the Jaguars have played overseas, have you made those trips with them? I have once. I generally don't, uh, but I have taken that trip once. You know, because the Colts are going to be playing in Germany this year. They've played in London, matter of fact, against the Jags, obviously. But, um, you know, I would think it's got to be pretty awesome, right? I mean, if you were going to talk to Colts fans right now that are thinking about going to Europe to watch the Colts play, give me the biggest benefit from it other than the fact that, like, you know, the beer's cold, right? Although in in England, I think the beer's warm, right? It's it's not always cold over there. Yeah. no, it, it, obviously, it's just if you haven't gone, there's a lot of culture. There's a, these are great cities. These are great countries. These are, you know, it's fun to see the world, right? But And then you have that, and you're going to be walking around Germany, and you're going to see a bunch of people wearing the Colts colors, and you're going to have that sense of camaraderie. And, you, I mean, the game is going to be, 
you know, off the charts exciting because it's just a different venue. It's a, a unique experience. So, look, uh, you know, it's nice because the Colts are a competitive team. You got a chance to go win a football game. But, I mean, it, it's great. You could package, you know, like that family vacation you've always wanted to take with a road trip to go see your football team. It's just, I, I, I love it. I love the, the whole concept of it. Um, you know, it's not the cheapest trip you'll ever make. So hopefully Colts fans have planned ahead. I think you're, you're probably late in the game now if you're making yeah. uh, last-minute plans. But, yeah, I mean, I, I love traveling. We all probably do. We probably all don't do it as much as we like to. But uh, I, I think there's so many cool things about it. So uh, hopefully there are a number of Colts fans that are planning on taking advantage. Well, when, the, when this first came about, Mike, and I think you and I have talked about this before on another show that I was doing. I asked you about this, but it's been a number of years. So at the time, in the initial years of the NFL going overseas, you know, the rumor was or the speculation was that that Jacksonville would be the team that would become like a permanent fixture in London. That seems to me to be completely on the back burner or I have not heard about it of late. Not on any burner. That's what I thought. Like Jacksonville, the the Khan family has said like they're not going anywhere, right? Uh, They're trying to get a new $2 billion renovation done with the stadium in Jacksonville. On a stadium the team doesn't own, they're willing to kick in a billion dollars to renovate, and they've got a whole plan to revitalize the downtown area. I mean, you tell me. Does that sound like they're planning on moving to London? I mean, I think the whole line of questioning, honestly, at this point, is absurd, uh, quite frankly. So, I mean, I really don't have anything positive to say about it. Right, so that's why I asked. Uh, that, that's yeah, not... no, I, I just... Yeah, I mean, it, it, people who who make the case that they're moving to London just you know we just roll our eyes and you you don't pay attention I get it people don't pay attention to Jacksonville if they're outside the market that's fine but you know uh, I just we just kind of laugh at that when that gets brought up at this point because it, it couldn't be farther from the truth well and at this point you know it's interesting because Jacksonville when it was a Super Bowl city um and, and i Mike, I really do believe this. I think the Jags are built right now to within the next, maybe not this year, but certainly taking the step towards being a Super Bowl franchise. I I mean, I do think Trevor Lawrence is going to get one, man. If he stays healthy and he's there for a while, Jacksonville's going to get one eventually. I I, I truly believe that. But we'll see what happens on Sunday just in terms of this year. Surprisingly, the Colts in the mix for the division itself. Mike, always appreciate it. Enjoy the game on Sunday, all right? All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All right. Mike Dempsey again, 1010XL down in Jacksonville. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, joining us now on the program, as he does each and every Thursday, is Matt Taylor, the radio voice of the Indianapolis Colts and... Matt, we'll begin with this. Um, I guess it's not even a question, but a comment that I'm just going to kind of openly allow you to opine. We were talking earlier about the fact, and I think you and I have talked about this, if you're going to have your franchise quarterback have to miss time, I don't know that there's a better guy to hand it over to than Gardner Minshew, and I don't even mean that from an X's and O's standpoint, but I just think he gets all the credit in the world for totally understanding from the time that he arrived at the complex what his role as the veteran quarterback was and being perfectly willing and capable to allow Anthony Richardson 
to immediately start and play and and not sulking over that in any way, shape, or form and then being ready to play. I, I just I don't know Gardner Minshew at all. You would know him better than I. I just think the guy exudes at least here total professionalism. Yeah, no, that that's that's the key word. That that that's the word that I would use to define Gardner Minshew, among other things, because I'm just blown away with I think I've said this before on the show, he's 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 the most comfortable guy in his own skin that I think I've ever been around. Because I mean, we know about his, you know, just laid back, cool, chill personality. But don't don't mistake that for hard work and dedication and care and you know putting a hundred and ten percent effort into you know what he's signed here to do. And that's that's play quarterback. And he's had the right mindset about this. He also knew from the get go, you know, and he he talked about it this week. You know, when he. Uh, was was talking to the Colts and Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard in the off season during free agency. Like they were they were clear they were up front. You know, so like we're we're probably going to draft a quarterback in the top five, and if we do, we would like for that guy. He's, he has to earn it, but we would like for that quarterback to, you know, to play and learn and develop and get experience. It, it's about you know the the long term play here and. We, but that being said, we want you to come in and, 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 and help develop and learn and, and tutor and grow this, this young guy and also help kind of translate this offense. You know, it's a new offense. You know it really well coming from Philadelphia with Shane Steichen. He's done all of those things, and you're exactly right, Jake. I mean, once – I think it was like August 15th, middle of training camp, as soon as the Colts named Anthony Richardson the starter for the season, you didn't see – you didn't see Gardner Minshew getting pissed off. He, you didn't see him like you know shut it down and have bad body language and you know you know sulk his shoulders and you know be a, a diva with the media. I mean, he's just a, a total total pro, and I'm blown away with his ability to come in out of the bullpen in these three games this year and and not get any run with the first team offense and complete a high percentage of passes, get everybody on the same page within the offense lead scoring drives which have led to victories um it's just really cool um the the amount of roles and the amount of hats that he's worn since he's been here and he's 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 darn near perfect he's three and oh and he's going to start his second game coming up on sunday so now that we know matt that he is going to be the starter for repeated consecutive weeks and not in a a fill you know a spot role does shane steichen then in any way alter the playbook or the approach at all to custom more towards what Minshew's strengths are and, you know, without Richardson being in the mix? Yeah, I think you have to. I think you have to uh, to just strengthen, you know, Gardner Minshew's uh, skill set and, and to continue to enhance what he does well. But I think on the flip side, you know, where the Colts, I think, have a little bit of an edge, it might sound silly, you know, when your starting quarterback goes out to think that you have an edge. But what what, ha- what has happened in these three games is that Minshew comes in, it's a different set of plays, it's a different look for defenses, and it's stuff that they haven't probably spent all week long game planning for and going over and, you know, discussing all of the tendencies of Gardner Minshew, right? You're just kind of playing football. So now that a team like Jacksonville on Sunday, now that they know all week long it's going to be Gardner Minshew, they're going to be more nuanced. They're going to be more, you know, sophisticated and ready for, you know, the the, the style of offense the Colts are going to roll out there with Gardner Minshew at the controls. So what I think the Colts have to do is they have to keep, you know, 
adding more to their playbook, adding more to Gardner Minshew's uh, repertoire so that they can continue to, to, to counter what defense is going to be prepared for, if that kind of makes sense. So um, I, I do think the Colts have had an edge when Minshew comes in because of his experience. And, you know, they were kind of running this playbook and this offense for most of the spring before the Colts even drafted Anthony Richardson. You know, it was it was Minshew here all of the, the spring before the draft even occurred, so it was kind of a leg up there. And, you know, you look at the, the play breakdown or the participation breakdown so far this year, it's really pretty even between numbers of snaps that Minshew has taken versus, you know, time on task with, uh, um, with Anthony Richardson and the number of snaps that he's taken. Um, but that obviously is going to change. These next four games at least are going to, you know, kind of skew the, the numbers in favor of Minshew. And this offense is going to be very, very, um, you know, I think you can, you can scheme it up on defense. And we, we saw that when Minshew was in Jacksonville, you know, his, um, his effectiveness, if you will, kind of worn off. Hopefully that's not the case here. But I think the Colts have to continue to evolve and add, you know, layer, layer on top of layer within Minshew's offense stay ahead of defenses who now know every week they're going to get Minshew and it's not going to be Minshew coming in for Anthony Richardson in the middle of the game. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor is our guest, brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. Matt, I don't feel this way. Jake doesn't feel this way. I know you don't feel this way, but I know some Colts fans do. So I ask you this, if a distressed Colts fan was to stop you at the grocery store or something today or later this week and say, Matt, I'm worried that, that we have an injury-prone quarterback now. That's all his career is going to be. Look at the four games that he's played, and he hasn't been able to complete a full game. Look at all this. If someone was to point to you and say that, asking for help or guidance through it, what would you say? Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a small sample size, and so it's, it, I, th- I think it's, it, it's, it's right to, to kind of worry about that. I mean, it's worrisome that this early in his career, he's only completed one game, and if you look at what's going to happen here with him missing at least the next four games of the season, he will have missed five of the first nine game of uh, games of his rookie season and parts of three others. So I get it, especially when he just hasn't played a lot of football at the highest of levels. You know, it's been well chronicled, right? The only the 13 games at Florida last year, only the one year as a starter. So from that standpoint, I totally get it. And it, it, it is concerning that, you know, he's had a knee and then a concussion and then now a shoulder. And what you just hope I, – I, I'm worried on, on, on one sense and not the other. I, I'm not worried about this stunning his growth, if you will, because I think he is really further ahead than where I thought he was going to be in terms of comfort and, you know, mental acumen and, for lack of a better term, right, like no deer in the headlights looks – and know like oh my gosh that's that's what a rookie quarterback looks like. There's, there's really been you know few and, and and far between moments like that so far this season for Anthony. What what I'm hoping is that he comes back and doesn't need surgery. Hopefully we'll see. But hopefully at the end of the year we can look back at this stretch and discern that you know the, the these injuries are just football injuries and they're coincidences and they're unrelated in terms of the injuries themselves and that they don't make it so that Richardson is unable to do all the things that he can do and use all of his skill set and the reasons why the Colts drafted him fourth overall in the first place. And so I I just think 
hopefully like him landing on his shoulder is is not something that's going to be you know something that defines the early part of his career and he doesn't get labeled nationally as an injury prone quarterback that's the last thing this franchise needs obviously you know dating back to to 2015 so i just hope for his sake that um i I don't worry about his his mental growth being stunted i just hope that you know when he comes back he's the same quarterback and the colts use him as the same quarterback as to why they drafted him in the top five anyways because if you don't tap into that then he's just not being the, the the total package that the colts drafted uh back in april so that's a long-winded way of saying like I hope that he comes back and continues to learn how to, uh, you know, protect himself and to to play within the game, knowing when to take a shot when when the game's on the line, knowing when to kind of fold them, if you will, and and just knowing you know when it's appropriate to to be extra physical. Although the the play that he got hurt on, I don't think he's he's doing anything other than just playing football. So that that's that's why I just hope that this early part of his career is kind of a blip on the radar for the bigger picture for Anthony Richardson for years to come. Matt, what's the one area, there are probably a lot, but when you really think about it so far, and I think it's fair to say that the Colts have exceeded expectation to this point, uh, at least amongst the masses. I, I don't want to speak for you individually, but um, but the good start that they're off to, what do you think is the biggest thing? What's the one area that you think even Shane Steichen or Chris Ballard are pleasantly surprised by? Oh, good, good question. I would, I would probably just say, you know, quarterback plays up there. Um, I, I would say too. I mean, everybody was really confident with the way that Zach Moss ended last year, but he's just an he's just a beast. He really is. He's he is so fun to watch, and it's just a classic case of hard work and dedication meeting opportunity. And just because you haven't done it before doesn't mean you can't be a bell cow running back. I mean, Zach Moss, in his seven games with the Colts, he's averaging almost 100 yards per game. Three of his last five games of the season, he's or in, of, of, of his time with the Colts, I should say, dating back to last year, he's over 100 yards. And, I mean, his workload is over 80% on the season. Uh, he's third in the NFL in rushing despite missing a game this year. It's just... I know Jonathan Taylor's coming back, and he's ramping up, and you know this week is going through a full week of practice. But I don't care if it's Jonathan Taylor, I don't care if it's Emmett Smith, I don't care if it's you know enter the running back here, Saquon Barkley, whatever. I mean, Zach Moss has absolutely earned the right to continue to be the featured running back within this offense for the time being, and should be given the right to get hot throughout the course of a game, which is what he's done. Since week two, last week coming off a career high 165 yards on the ground, two rushing touchdowns. That that to me is probably the, the the biggest surprise of the season in a positive way. And I don't think I downplayed or underestimated Zach Moss, but he's just proving a lot of people like he's better than most people thought he was in that trade for Naeem Hines. It's like all right, the Colts are going to get another nice complimentary running back back in, in return with Zach Moss. He's proving he is so much more than that, and can. I mean, Colts have a really good problem right now in the backfield with Moss and Taylor, and we'll see how long it takes Taylor to get an equal share of the the carries and an equal share of the pie in the running game, or eventually uh, over overpass or over um, overtake Moss in that regard. But 
And it, for the time being, Zach Moss should be given the first right of refusal. So the other side of that question then, Matt, would be give me the area that for sure Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard are looking at and going, okay, we thought we maybe were better in this area going in and it still needs improvement. Well, they, they, I mean, anything uh, in regards to pass defense has got to get cleaned up. I mean, they're giving up about, you know, 280-some yards per game. They've allowed uh, you know, a couple of quarterbacks this year to go over 70% completion percentage, including Trevor Lawrence in game number one. Uh, in fact, this season, the Colts, they've, they've given up the most explosive plays in the passing game uh, in the NFL this year. They've given up 23 pass plays over 20 yards. Uh, which is 32nd in the league. So that's that's got to get cleaned up. And, you know, that's that's an area of concern going into this game with the Jaguars, who maybe have the most diverse uh, passing game in the NFL with all those receivers and Ridley and Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Ridley went over 100 yards in the first game. Zay Jones had a huge catch for a touchdown uh, in the first game. We know about Kirk. Kirk's had big games against the Colts in the past. Evan Ingram at tight end, leading the NFL in yards after the catch among tight ends this season. Uh, don't forget about Travis Etienne. He can catch the ball out of the backfield and be a problem on the ground game and the passing game. Uh, and, and in this game, too, you know, you talk about you know the offensive backfield having some new weapons that weren't there week one in Moss and Taylor. Now in the back end, you've got two guys that didn't play week one either in Juju Brent's and Jalen Jones. In that first game, it was Daryl Baker Jr. and uh, Dallas Flowers. Flowers is hurt. Uh, Baker's been supplanted in the starting lineup. So that that is, that is that's con- going to continue to be a concern until the Colts shut that down. And Trevor Lawrence is one of the best deep ball throwers or explosive plays uh, passing quarterbacks in the NFL. So that's a huge storyline for me going into this game is can the Colts make the Jaguars earn it, go on long scoring drives and not get big explosives in the passing game to lead uh, to, to quick scoring drives and hopefully for the Colts' sake, not an early deficit on the road. Matt Taylor is our guest. Voice of the Colts presented to us by Shelly Materials, concrete and aggregate experts. Mate, people always talk about how offensive linemen never get the love, but usually whenever they're brought up, it's for negative connotations and underperforming or in the Colts case, a lot of money that has been given to that position group and the results the last couple of years have been what they are, but been a bright spot throughout this season and PFF's most recent rankings have the Colts as a top five offensive line unit. In fact, ranked fourth out of all 32 clubs. It's hard to evaluate week by week in this league, but I'd say five weeks is a decent sample size. Is this what to expect from the Colts O line the rest of the year? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, you're right. It's early, and a lot can change. I mean, we've already seen some guys get banged up. Ryan Kelly missed a couple of games with a concussion. Same thing with Bernard Ryman. But, you know, the the depth is proving to be better than a lot of people thought going into this season. I mean, tip of your cap to Wesley French, tip of your cap to Blake Freeland, the rookie out of BYU. I think those guys played more than serviceable. But I I, I was really, really bullish all offseason long on this offensive line bouncing back. And a lot of people thought, all right, well, why are the Colts not being more aggressive in free agency? They're running this, they're running it back with the group that gave up 60 sacks last year. Like, why should we think this is going to be any different? I think last year, for lack of a better term, like that, that season a year ago just spiraled so far out of control. 
chaos off the field with the quarterback carousel and you know, offensive coordinators getting fired and interim coaches coming in. It, it was just a mess. And I think Tony Sperano should be given a ton of credit. There's no doubt about that for kind of coming in and, you know, establishing a system of over-communication, kind of simplifying some things. But what I love most about the running game, and I know Rick talks about this too, is that this running game is way more diverse than it has been in years past. It's not just a zone running scheme, right? There's powers and there's, yeah, there's off tackles, but there's pulling guards, there's wham blocks with uh, tight ends that are lining up in the backfield. Like it, it's, it's, it's more creative this year. And I think that's what this running game needed. I think that's what this offensive line needed. So give, give the coaching staff a tip of the cap. But I just think the biggest thing is just mindset. And I think this group was really mad about how they were being talked about. And, you know, like you, 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 you get what you put out there. And so they, they held they help themselves accountable for the performance from a year ago. There's no doubt about that. But I think there's just a lot of pride within the core of this offensive line that has been together now for a long time. And Nelson and Kelly and Braden Smith, and now you've got Bernard Ryman in year two. I think those guys had a big chip on their shoulders all off season about this is not the this is not what we're going to be known for. We're getting back to 2018 and 2019 and 2020 offensive line, and I think that's what you're seeing. And I think Tony Sperano has provided that mindset, and these guys have taken that and they are running with it, and it's it's proving to be really really fruitful so far. That that game last week against Tennessee. That's just a mindset. That's just we're going to be more physical than you, and that's tough to do against Tennessee, but that's that's what needed to happen. That's what did happen, and it was good to see Tennessee kind of given, or I should say the Colts, out-tighten the Titan for a change and snapping that five-game losing streak. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Matt, I want you to, to look into the future here with me, okay? One of my famous hypotheticals. So complete this scenario. It's January 7th. You're up in the booth. It's late in the game. Colts are taking on the Texans. Colts have to win the game to get into the postseason. Anthony Richardson's back and he's healthy. And he's leading the Colts on a drive. And on the last play of the game, he throws an eight-yard touchdown pass. And Rick Venturi <laughs> says, that makes sense. That's the tight end that's become his favorite target. You knew where they were going. Who catches it? Oh, man. Oh, well, if I have to complete that sentence now, it's, it's, it's probably Andrew Ogletree. Uh, he's had a really nice stretch of football here and some clutch catches and some big moments, you know, for, for first downs and some, uh, explosive plays. That's a good question though. I mean, by week 18, you know, we're, we're bound to have more clarity on Jelani Woods. Uh, certainly Kylan Granton is going to continue to be a focal point within this offense. You know, he's always good for two to three catches a game. But there's just something about Andrew Ogletree right now uh, where he's kind of setting himself up for a nice season, could be a special player. He's really good in the running game right now for the Colts, uh, doing the dirty work, uh, kind of helping that offensive line. But he had his first catch for a touchdown the other day uh, against the Rams and that comeback. I, I, he, just, he, he, to me, kind of presents a red zone challenge, although Jelani Woods does as well, and hopefully he can come back off of IR soon. But – 
if I got to complete that sentence now, I think the Colts have found something really, really special with Andrew Ogletree. Good for a couple of catches per game, you know, maybe 25, 30, 40 yards per game, and some some big, you know, chain moving snags and some clutch catches for the Colts in the fourth quarter and overtime of games. By the way, we had him on yesterday, Matt, and I I would not have known this, so that's that's why I asked him because uh, he's a new player, obviously that we're getting used to in terms of Ogletree. Uh, he did mm-hmm. say yesterday because we were talking about it that he prefers Drew as opposed to Andrew, which I did not know. So yeah, Drew yeah. Drew Ogletree is your new thing. Yep. <laughs> well, the, the guys on the guys on the team call him Tree. They call him just Tree. Well, that, he looks that, like one. Just... he's built like one, right? <laughs> that's right. right. That's right. You know, Lara, Lara Overton. She spots for me during games, and she gives me a lot of Tree, like great block by Tree or. You know, catch over the middle by tree. So I've had to, I've had to learn that too. Yeah, you you go with either numbers or nicknames, whatever identifies guys quicker. It seems you know, like for the it seems like tree uh, in terms of offensive meetings and stuff would be nearly inseparable from Moss, right? <laughs> yeah, Moss and Tree. That's yeah. a, that's a good one, right? Yeah, they, they, they run around be, together, right? They should share share the same playbook, or at least sit next <laughs> to one another. Makes in the, perfect in the, sense in the team meeting room. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, Matt, you're a married guy, right? Uh, last time I checked, I'll see if I'm uh, if the if the if the door still opens for me tonight. Well, here's a question for you. Uh, we came in today. We're doing the show. Jimmy and I obviously have not been doing a lot of shows together for a long time, but you know we're we're we are also kind of learning through the playbook, right? And the Chiefs play tonight, and I look down and I notice that Jimmy has taken off his wedding ring for the day and is instead wearing a plastic Kansas City Chiefs ring on his wedding the finger. silicone ring to make it sound like I got it out of a fifty cent machine. I just want well, the... it kind of looks like it. Uh, so. Matt, that would go over how well with the Taylor household. Oh, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I understand. What What are we doing? I mean, I know you're a big fan, but I didn't think you were that guy. <laughs> uh, well, I am. You've learned I am that guy to a T. The only instances where I take my wedding ring off, I take it off. I don't sleep with it, and I know probably a lot of people are like, that, that doesn't make any sense. I... I, I, I could probably start sleeping with it. I don't know. They're just I just get traditional band, by. Matt, or do you use a silicone ring or like a, or like a carbon fiber? Is yeah, it a traditional band? No, it's a band. I put it next to my nightstand and then I put it back on when I wake up. See, I, I only break for- out the band for special occasions. Like weddings, like I'm when they're playing on Thursday no. against the Broncos. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. real special. <laughs> no, like I have a legitimate wedding band, but uh, Eddie mentioned it. This is important context. I usually just wear a carbon fiber ring every day. Because I don't want to lose the expensive wedding ring that I'll probably lose well, it. Yeah, I I did I did lose my wedding ring like the first year in, and you know it wasn't it wasn't anything extravagant. But then I just was like, you know what, I'm going to be prone to losing this a lot, and so I just kind of bought like a it's a nice looking one, but it's certainly not as expensive as the original one. And irony is, I haven't I haven't I've had this one <laughs> on yeah. me for for 14 years. Sure. So. It makes no sense. Well, and trust me, I've I've tried to lose it too, and I always excuse me. (laughs) What's that? Excuse me. I just mean mean like the the odds of me, the odds of me having this are are not in my favor, and yet I still do. So, especially to be honest with you, Tony Gwynn. Hall of Fame baseball player Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn lived in the offseason in Fishers because his wife did work in Indianapolis, came to Indianapolis one time, was walking into the Walmart at 96 and 69, I kid you not, was taking off her glove, didn't realize that because your fingers get so narrow in cold temperatures, her, her ring fell off. 
in the Walmart and she didn't realize it until like later. And then the next time that she went back to Walmart, they had the ring for her. And Tony Gwynn said, that's where we need to live in the off season. And that's why he lived here. True story. So in the wintertime, I can see how it becomes more challenging to have it. Now, if the Colts were to win a, a Super Bowl and you were to get a ring, Matt, would your wife allow you to wear it on the wedding finger? No, 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 no. And I, and I wouldn't want to either. I, I wouldn't. Bingo. Good answer. I, I, I would not, I wouldn't wear that ring ever. Uh, and it's not because I wouldn't like have pride, uh, to, to, to yeah, you, you, know, you would display it at home, right? Super Bowl. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not a player, but it's also just like, yeah, there's that, that's probably the biggest part of it. Like I, you know, I didn't block, I didn't tackle, right. I didn't, right. I didn't hold for a field goal or anything. You know, I just showed up and I did my job, which I do whether they win or lose. But I'm just not—I'm not that guy either. Like I don't—I don't wear. I can't pull off flashy stuff. Like I'm good with my khakis and polo. That's all I can pull off. That's the type of guy I am. Well, hey, just—I'm telling you, just don't pull off the wedding ring and put on a Chiefs <laughs> ring. That's all. Matt, uh, enjoy the first coast. I think is what they call it down in Jacksonville. Have a good call on Sunday. We'll be listening to it. All right, boys. Thank you so much. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Halfway home here in the 2 o'clock hour in Indianapolis, Jake Query along with Eddie Garrison and Jimmy Cook. It is Query and Company here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. That music, of course, for Football Night in America, that is the theme for NBC Sunday Night Football of course and Tony Dungy who won a Super Bowl with the Colts I don't have to tell any of you that but of course is on that broadcast joins us now on the program first off coach always good to talk to you how are you hey Jake I'm doing well and it's great to talk to you too hey I want to begin with this you would be man the perfect person to ask because I was thinking about this today you know when you were here in Indy obviously you were pretty stable at the quarterback position from the get-go. I mean, it, you never really, in Indy, had to groom along quarterbacks, so to speak. But that's where we are now with this franchise. We know Anthony Richardson is out. But so far from what you've been able to see, what have been your impressions of Anthony Richardson? And are the Colts handling it the right way in terms of basically the baptism by fire for him right out of the box? I, I really think you are. Um, I remember coming Indianapolis, and Peyton was in, I think, year five when I got there. But talking to him about his first couple of years, and yes, he had a rough first year, but they threw him right in. And he told me, I learned more from that than I would have learned by watching and sitting and taking notes. Yes, it didn't all go great that first year. I think he had an NFL record for a rookie interception. But he certainly learned from that. And I, I think that's what you need to do when you draft a guy in the top five and you say he, he's going to be our guy for the next 10 years, get him in there, let him learn, let him grow, and you know take the bumps and the ups and downs. And what we've seen from Anthony Richardson is tremendous ability. Uh, we've seen poise, which uh, that was my concern early on. He hadn't played a lot of football. How's he going to be? He hasn't done everything perfectly. But I think you can see the learning curve and you can see him growing. And if I'm a Colts fan, I'm enthused. Coach, society so often has an instant gratification vibe to it. <laughs> In today's NFL, is that also felt within the process of trying to develop a quarterback? 
sure it is. And you've got coaches who are under pressure. You've got that quarterback who's under pressure. I live in Tampa now, and uh, Baker Mayfield is playing for the Buccaneers and exceeding everybody's expectations. Uh, Baker came in as the number one pick in Cleveland. Oh, he's going to do this. He's going to be great. Um, they throw him in right away. Maybe he doesn't meet expectations. He goes to Carolina, goes to the Rams, and now he's playing pretty good football. Um, but, yes, there, there's that expectation, oh, you're a high draft choice, you, you're going to be great. And uh, it doesn't necessarily happen right off the bat, but uh, I, I think we, we have to just relax and we've got to let quarterbacks grow and, and, and let it play out. And, and then we have to remember – the one advantage Peyton Manning had, I look at Peyton's career next to Ryan Leaf's career, and people say, oh, it's polar opposite, and Peyton was way more talented. Uh, I don't know about that, but I do know that Peyton had the benefit of some really good players around him. He had the benefit of Tom Moore in the same offensive system for over a decade, and Ryan Leaf went through a number of different teammates, a number of different offensive coordinators, a number of different systems, and that doesn't help a young quarterback. You know, it's interesting, Tony, because I think people forget, because Edron James was such a great player, that Peyton Manning had Marshall Falk in his rookie year, which is a pretty dynamic, yeah. and also a guy that will block for you, and obviously an incredibly dynamic back. And it seems like today, people started to get away from the narrative of the running back, but has this year kind of been, did we oversell in the media the standpoint of the running back has been devalued in the NFL? Is that a false narrative? It, it is a false narrative. And, you know, running backs, the, the saying now they're a dime a dozen, you just pick someone up. Well, you, you can find good running backs, but you need good running backs. And we were out uh, in D.C., we were out in San Francisco last week. And I can't tell you, talking to people there, the difference Christian McCaffrey has made in that building, on that team, and having that running back that they can count on and what he has brought to it. Uh, you look at Miami, and they're putting up a ton of points. And, oh, yes, they've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, But Raheem Mostert and A-Chain, uh, those guys, you know, they're making some plays, and you, you have to defend the run. Uh, we've got the Buffalo Bills this week. And Buffalo is 3-2, and two, and yes, they're dynamic on offense, but the two games they've lost, they haven't run the ball well. And I'm saying they've got to be more balanced. If they want to win a Super Bowl, yes, they've got Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis in this explosive offense, but they better be able to run the ball in December and January if they want to win. So, yes, I think we have overreacted and said, oh, it doesn't matter about the running back. Is San Francisco right now the most complete team in the league? I, I don't know. I really like Philadelphia, too. I, I think San Francisco and Philadelphia are the two best teams in the NFC. Philadelphia has a great uh, offensive line, a great defensive line, and they're, they're putting up points. Jalen Hurts has not lost many games that he started in a long while either. On the AFC side, you've got a, a number of teams that are playing good football, and they've been a little bit more up and down. San Francisco is very talented. They're determined. They've got a chip on their shoulder. But I wouldn't put them head and shoulders above everyone just yet. Tony, when you were coaching, Tony Dungy is our guest here on Quarian Company. When you were coaching, I recall like in the early years that you came to Indy, and I know you were aware of this, I mean, you know, the people that were like, man, you know, it feels like 
you know, the Colts need to, to really kick these guys in the tail. And, re, you know, and you, you, you stood pat on your coaching philosophy and guys bought in, obviously, and, and it paid off. But from a coaching standpoint, how challenging is it to stand by what you believe in and, and block out the pressures, the noise, the scrutiny, all of it, and just continue to do the right thing, even if occasionally it comes up short? Well, that's something I learned from my first boss in the NFL, Chuck Nolan. He was a pretty decent coach. <laughs> yeah, I'd say, right? I, I would always say, leaving your game plan is a sign of panic, and panic is not in our game plan. And it always just reminded us, hey, if we do what we're supposed to do, if we know what to do, we know how to do it, and we do it, we're going to be fine. I remember the 06, our Super Bowl season, we lost a game in Jacksonville 44-17. to And everybody said, oh, we've, what are we going to do now? We've got to do something different. This is not going to work. And I remember going in the locker room and saying, hey, we've won a lot of games, and we are not going to change what we're doing. We've got to get back to details, and we've got to play better but we're going to do the exact same thing. And six weeks later, we were holding the Lombardi Trophy. So I, I think there is something to having a plan, saying this is who we are, this is who we're going to be. And, yes, you've got to block out the noise sometimes. You've got to block out the critics. But uh, having confidence in what you do is important. I learned that from Coach Noel. I also, uh, my last planning, uh, Bill Walsh. And it was his first year in San Francisco. We went 2-14. and 14. But I saw the same thing. Coach Walsh and his system, they were not executing. will work. We're going to stick with it. And three years later, they were holding the Super Bowl trophy. So uh, I, I just believe in, in that, and I think it's important. Did at any time when you were coaching, Tony, and you were here – you know, obviously it worked out. So I would assume that, that Jim Irsay never in any way tried to intervene or, or suggest a different approach. A, is that accurate? And then B, do you think he is still that same owner in terms of allowing the the front office to do what they need to do? Yes, that's accurate. And uh, I think he is still that same way. I know people can have a lot of different feelings, but uh, we had our talks, we had discussions, and we talked about personnel and people and ideas. But at the end of the day, Jim let me coach. He let Bill pull in, run the, the front office, and we, we'd have our discussions. But he trusted us, and I think he is still the same way, and I, I think you have to have that from, from the top down. So, Tony, tell me a time – that you had, like, give me a story of when you were coaching in Indianapolis for the Colts where maybe you had an epiphany and you came home and you said to your wife or to your family, this is going to be good. We are we are going to be okay, and this is the group of guys that I want here because blank happened at work today. Is there anything that jumps out at you as a moment where you saw that little glimpse of like if it was a Disney movie, that's where the music would have kicked in? Uh, I think it was probably early on, and uh, my kind of routine – was, you know, we'd get ready to play. We'd play our game on Sunday. We'd have a Monday practice. And, you know, obviously the players are going to get their medical checkups and things like that and, and work out. But our Monday practice was basically 
for the guys who didn't play that much. So the backup quarterback, that's when he'd get his reps and get his work, and the, the receivers that didn't play and the young guys, they could get some reps. So that's the way we had it structured. Well, um, the first Monday, Peyton Manning jumps in with the offense. Then, of course, Marvin and Reggie and all those guys are going to jump in because Peyton's there. And the first group went out there and took about 15 reps on Monday. And I said, guys, you don't have to do that. This is really, you know, you played on Monday. We just beat the Jacksonville Jags. Rest up, relax, let the second group do it. And they said, uh, no, we're the first group. We're going to be out here first for every drill we do. And once I saw that attitude, I said, yeah, we're going to be just fine. Coach, is it still possible to contend at a high level for a Lombardi trophy if you have an elite defense versus a middle-of-the-road quarterback? Or do you have to have an elite quarterback to be able to reach the pinnacle in today's NFL? I think you have to have an elite quarterback to be there year after year after year. You can look at the Kansas City Chiefs, and they've been in five straight AFC championship games, and they've got a quarterback that drives that. Uh, If you don't have that, you can still win it. Uh, Everything has to be perfect, though. And, yes, your defense has to play. You can't have injuries. You've got to be able to run the ball. Your offensive line has to stay healthy. Um, but what that elite quarterback, that's another thing I found out in, in Indy with Peyton. We could be off a little bit in a game. We could be not quite firing on all cylinders and somehow, some way, still win it. And a lot of that was because we had confidence in our quarterback and our quarterback could deliver in the clutch. If you don't have that guy, then you got to be perfect. Now, can you be perfect and win it? Yes, you can, and, and it's been done a, a few years here. But that, uh, that elite quarterback makes it so much easier. Tony Dungy is our guest. Of course, you can see him football night in America on NBC Sunday nights, of course, for the Sunday night broadcast. Uh, before we get back to today's NFL, Tony, which is obviously what your involvement is, I did have one other question for you about your time here. Look, we obviously talk so much here still about Peyton Manning, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, Bob Sanders defensively. Um, give me the name of a guy that you coached in Indianapolis that realistically you feel like probably deserves more credit than he gets and that if people were inside the locker room, they would realize his value to what you were coaching was greater than perhaps what the average fan realizes. Boy, we had a number of those guys uh, that just uh, did their job and worked and led. Uh, David Thornton is one uh, that comes to mind real quickly. Um, But one guy that I will tell you who was really special, who nobody would even talk about or think about, was Brock Hewitt. Brock was the backup quarterback behind Peyton for a number of years. Obviously, he wasn't going to play very much, but he did his job so well, number one, He worked the scout team offense against our defense, gave the uh, the defense the exact look that they were going to see in the game, challenged everyone, got that scout team offense humming at a high level so our practices were good. But in the locker room, talking to guys, uh, building them up, encouraging them, coming to me as a coach and saying, hey, so-and-so's got a little problem here. Don't worry, coach. We're going to handle it. We'll let you know if you need to get involved. Or – hey, you need to talk to so-and-so just a little deeper than what we can handle. He's going through this, and I think it'd be good if you or one of the coaches would would help him. He 
did a lot of those things behind the scenes that no one would even know about. But he, he brought us together quite well and uh, was a big, big part of our team developing. I think a lot of people coach players or coaches. One of the things, no matter what level it is where, where a guy or gal, when their sports career comes to an end, one of the things that people miss a lot of times is just that teamwork, right? They're like kind of looking out for yeah. each other and, and all of yeah. that. How much do you get that craving fulfilled now by being on the team of the Sunday night broadcast? And 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 maybe is it is it unique to you to not be necessarily always the front man of that, but rather one who is a teammate as opposed to guiding it all? It, it is very similar, and it is that I love just being part of a, a team. And we've had the number one uh, primetime broadcast, I think it's 13 years in a row now, and we take a lot of pride in that. We want to be the best. We want to have the best. And uh, just being a small part of that is important to me. But you're right, the group, the teamwork, and it's not just the, the, the talent that you see on stage, so to speak. It's the people behind the scenes, the cameramen, the researchers, the directors. Uh, we're all in it together, and you do get that sense of, a team, and that's something you miss because I, I tell you, boy, I talk to a lot of people who leave the game, and they, they don't get that. Uh, it's hard. You, you're not in quantifiable situations. You're not in a situation where you get measured every Sunday. Did we succeed or did we come up a little short? Uh, and th- there's something special about that. There really is. Okay. Lastly, anytime you come to Indy, Coach, first thing you got to do is what? Other than obviously see people and friends. Oh, I, I kind of have a couple of. Uh, spots that I, I love to go to, a couple of eating spots, but I love to just walk downtown. And downtown Indianapolis is so unique and so special. And I, I you know, remember, you know, going to Pacers games and going downtown and walking from the Marriott to the stadium and just seeing people. And so I've got a lot of good memories downtown. Uh, Palomino's restaurant, they, uh, took care of us after the AFC championship game. We stayed till four o'clock in the morning and just sitting there saying, we're going to the Super Bowl and all the cooks, all the staff, everybody took care of us. Uh, things like that. Uh, th- those are my memories of India. That's what I, I really love to do when I come back. Great times. Sometimes it's hard for me to remember or, or grasp, Tony, that it's been uh, more than two years ago. You know what I mean? It seems like yesterday. But a lot of great times. Certainly enjoy watching you on NBC as well. And look forward to doing that this Sunday as well. And always a pleasure to have you on the airwaves here in Indy. Well, thank you very much. And I just happened to be – I was in Jacksonville uh, Tuesday night for a, uh, an outreach dinner. And they're fired up for this game. And we've got uh, the Jags and the Colts playing for first place. So it seems like old time. It, it does indeed. Coach, appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Good to be with you. All right. Tony Dungy joining us on the hotline. Man, I'll tell you what. Um, you know, there were so many 